Our scripture reading is taken from Luke chapter 14. Now great crowds accompanied him, and he turned and said to them, If anyone comes to me and does not hate his own father and mother and wife and children and brothers and sisters, yes, and even his own life, he cannot be my disciple. Whoever does not bear his own cross and come after me cannot be my disciple. For which of you, desiring to build a tower, does not first sit down and count the costs, whether he has enough to complete it? Otherwise, when he has laid a foundation and is not able to finish, all who see it begin to mock him, saying, This man began to build and was not able to finish. Or what king, going out to encounter another king in war, will not sit down first and deliberate whether he is able with 10,000 to meet him who comes against him with 20,000. And if not, while the other is yet a great way off, he sends a delegation and asks for terms of peace. So therefore, any one of you who does not renounce all that he has cannot be my disciple. Salt is good, but if salt has lost its taste, how shall its saltiness be restored? It is of no use either for the soil or for the manure pile. It is thrown away. He who has ears to hear, let him hear. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Lord, we come to you now to the part of the service where we will hear the sermon, the way that you have chosen to center worship and to teach us most clearly how we ought to live. We pray that you would be with Pastor Bryant today and that the Holy Spirit would be with him and that all the work of preparation he has done will come to fruition. And we pray that you will be with our hearts so that the word and the seed that he plants will be find soil that is receptive for it. And so that what we learn today will change us, will change us and make us more like you so that when we live here, our worship will not just be a, a Sunday worship, but will be a worship that we take every day of our life, a worship in which we live because in you we live and move and have our being. And we would pray that your Holy Spirit would be with us and shine so brightly that others, because of the sermon that we're going to hear and what we're going to learn, will see you and not us. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, good morning, Saints. It is a delight to be with you. I've been looking forward to this uh, morning for all week now. We're uh, going to continue. I'm seeing if this is on. Is it on? Okay, I can move around. We're going to continue in our study of the parables about the kingdom that Pastor Andrew started a few weeks ago. And Pastor Addison continued last week. We've been studying how uh, the kingdom is at hand, how the kingdom was established in the Lord Jesus Christ, and then how we are now members of the kingdom. Today, we look at a parable that we've, uh, we just heard from, parable from Luke chapter 14, on life in the kingdom, how it is that we are now to live every day of our life as members of the kingdom, what it costs for us to be members of the kingdom. If you're a C.S. Lewis fan, you probably know the Chronicles of Narnia. You probably know some of the titles of those different books. One of them is The Voyage of, of uh, uh, 
the Dawn Treader. That's exactly right. I I've read it, I promise. I have. <laughs> Inside that particular book, we're introduced, uh, or continue to be introduced to Edmund and Lucy, the two characters that we read through most of the, the Chronicles. But we're introduced to a new character, Edmund, uh, or not Edmund, uh, uh, Eustace. I, I have read it, I promise. <laughs> Eustace Clarence Scruggs, who is known as, uh, as a, a royal stinker, as uh, C.S. Lewis refers to him. Uh, one day, Edmund and Lucy find their way over to, Edmund's, or to uh, Eustace's house because their dad has gone on a speaking engagement. And while, they're, uh, while he's away, they're making their way through the house and they suddenly find this picture hanging on the wall of this ship that's being tossed to and fro on the sea. And then uh, Eustace comes up and he begins to be the royal stinker that he is. And suddenly they find themselves transposed to now inside this picture on the dawn treader. And they're fighting this, uh, this storm until finally they are shipwrecked on an island. Eustace jumps off the ship and makes his way off into the, into, the, into the bushes, being the royal stinker that he is, trying to find something to do while Edmund and Lucy stay there with the boat. And Eustace comes across a, a, a big pond of water and a cave on the other side, just as it's starting to rain. So Eustace thinks to himself, I'm going to make my way around this pond of water. I'm going to go into the cave and I'm going to get out of the rain. But suddenly as he's moving around the water, a dragon comes out of the cave, plops himself down as if to cool himself uh, with the rain. He waits until the dragon falls asleep and then he inches carefully around the dragon and into that cave where he is immediately amazed. Not only is he out of the elements, but now the cave is full of all kinds of treasures. He begins to stuff his pockets full of things and put on these golden bracelets until he can't even lift his arms up over his head because he's got so many gold bracelets on his arms. He then switches over to diamonds because they're smaller but give him a greater value sticking those in his pockets he makes his way out of the cave and suddenly he realizes that he too has been transformed into a dragon at first he's okay with that because if anybody comes to try to steal his treasure he thinks that he can fight them off being the dragon that he is but over time we read about how Eustace becomes frustrated begins to cry that he wants to return to being the royal little stinker that he is and that's when we're introduced again to Aslan, the character, the God character that C.S. Lewis gives us. Aslan begins to dialogue with Eustace, Eustace crying, saying that he wants to return to his life as a little boy. And then Aslan says, well, you have to get rid of your dragon suit. You've got to take off your dragon skin, and you've got to wash in the pool. And so he begins to pick at the skin, the dragon skin, and to his amazement, it comes off. And he starts picking as fast as he can, but he can't get down into the water before the skin starts growing back. Three times he tries, all three times he fails. He can't get into the water to wash himself, and so he begins to cry again. What must I do, Eustace Scruggs asks Aslan, and Aslan says, you must roll over on your back and bear your soul and let me undress you. That's what Eustace does, and listen to the way he describes his encounter. He says, the very first tear was so deep that I thought it had gone right to my heart. And when he began pulling the skin off, it hurt worse than anything I have ever felt. 
The only thing that made me able to bear it was just the pull off. You know, if you've ever picked a scab in a sore place, it hurts like bullio, but it's so much fun to see it coming away. What a picture of our discipleship, friends. The life that we are called to live as lovers of the Lord Jesus Christ. The transformation that is to be ours, moving from a life of sin, of darkness, light of light and glory as a lover and believer of the Lord Jesus Christ. But how often do we want an easy gospel? Don't we want something? Don't we want all the riches of life that we want to put all of those bracelets on? We want to stuff our pockets with everything that we can get. We want something easy, something that we can just say that we believe, some aisle that we can walk down and yet no transformation in our life at all, nothing to give up. It shouldn't cost me anything. It should be as easy as I want it to be and yet as fulfilling as I want it to be. Doesn't that describe you, friends? I know it describes me. We want an easy gospel. We want an easy transformation, something that's not bullio, but something that's easy-o, that we can live the way we want to live. Three times in this passage, in verse 26, 27, and 33, we read that you, you cannot be my disciple, you cannot be my disciple, you cannot be my disciple. Three times Jesus tells us there that we cannot be his disciple if we are going to try to do things our way with an easy gospel instead of Instead of thinking about, meditating on, studying the cost of what a true disciple is all about and becoming that disciple by the power and work of the Holy Spirit that reigns and dwells within us. Three times. Now, in, in some ways, that leaves us a little bit frustrated, doesn't it? Jesus is saying that you cannot be my disciple. But look at the pronoun, the personal pronoun. Jesus says, you cannot be my disciple. My disciple, I know my sheep that we just read. My sheep know my voice. I am the good shepherd. I lay down my life for my sheep. And he begins in verse 26 and 27 saying, anyone, if anyone would come after me, he can't be my disciple unless he studies the cost of discipleship. Here's the promise of grace, friends. Don't miss it at the very beginning. We can come to the Savior because he enables us to come to him. Back in chapter 9 of Luke's gospel, we read that Jesus is saying this very same thing. He, he gives the, under, the, the, the story of, if anyone would come after me, he must lay down, his cross and, uh, lay down his life, pick up his cross, and follow me daily. Because those who want to be first are going to be last, and those who want to be last are going to be first. He gives us this clear picture back in Luke chapter 9. But he tells us, if anyone would come, if you would just come, the parable that precedes the one that we're studying even this morning. We have the great banquet where the master says to the, to the servants, go out, go out into the highways and the byways and tell them to come. Tell them the banquet has already been spread. Come and sit at the table. So we have these beautiful pictures of Jesus saying, come, even in Matthew chapter 11, come to me all who labor and are heavy laden and I will give you rest. Over and over again, the gospel begins with the universal call from the Savior saying, come, come to me. 
So this is great news for us. Even though we have these three accounts of you cannot come to the Savior, you cannot be my disciple unless you do this, that, and the other, we have this beautiful picture of Jesus saying, come. The way has been prepared for you. Come, come and taste and see that indeed I am very, very, very good. So then the passage goes on to tell us there are three things then that we must consider a cost. We must consider then in order to be the disciple, a true disciple of the Lord Jesus Christ, we must consider the cost of giving up our relationships. We must consider the cost of giving up ourselves. We must consider the cost of giving up every single thing. So look how that first, you can't be my disciple, begins. It begins, large crowds were traveling with Jesus and turning to them, he said. Now back in Luke chapter 9, as I just uh, pointed you to a moment ago, we read in Luke chapter 9 verse 51, where Jesus says, the time of my departure is now come. And he resolutely set out for Jerusalem, the text says. He resolutely now, after teaching in parables over and over again, now he said he resolutely set out for Jerusalem. He was going to go to Jerusalem to do what it was that he came to do. And one individual man comes up to, me, uh, up to Jesus and says, I'm going to follow you. Wherever you go, I'm going to go. I'm going to follow you. It's a crowd of one. His disciples in a crowd of one. I'm going to follow you. And Jesus says, foxes have holes, birds have their nests, but the Son of Man has no place to lay his head. So that's how we begin back in chapter 9, verse 51, as Jesus resolutely sets out for Jerusalem. But now, as we get to chapter 14, before we get into Jerusalem, about halfway actually, what we find is the crowd has gotten larger and larger and larger. And over and over again in the Gospels, what we find is Jesus decides to reduce the, the size of the crowd because he does not want to give a false hope to anyone. He doesn't want someone to think that all they have to do is an easy gospel and be in the kingdom. He wants them to understand the fullness of the gospel and what it will cost us. So he turns around and seeing this huge crowd, he sees moms and dads and sons and daughters, children, older folks, younger folks. And then he takes that picture in his mind and he says, let's, let's narrow this down from the crowd to individual families. You cannot be my disciple unless you hate your father and your mother, your brother, your sister, and your children. Now, how can Jesus say that? Is this a contradiction? Is this a contradiction to Scripture where Jesus tells us to hate? What about the fifth commandment? You shall honor your father and mother that your days may be long in the land that the Lord your God is giving you. And now he's saying hate your father and mother. What about husbands and wives in Ephesians chapter 5 where he says, Husbands, love your wives like Christ loved the church. And wives, submit yourself to the husband as to the Lord. Is he now contradicting himself? What about Matthew chapter 5, the Sermon on the Mount, where Jesus says you must love your enemies, not hate your enemies. And now he's telling us to hate. The Greek word there is meseo which simply means this. It is a, it's a matter of comparison. It is loving one greater than the other. In the Septuagint, which is the Greek translation of the Old Testament Hebrew, in Genesis chapter 29, you remember these characters, right? Rachel and Leah and Jacob. And it says about Leah that, that Jacob loved Rachel more than he loved Leah. He still loved Leah, 
He had children with Leah. He had relations with Leah. It wasn't that he hated her like despised her, but he loved Rachel more in comparison. She was his favorite, and that's the same word that's used here. Jesus is saying, I have to supersede every relationship that you have. Every relationship that you have. I'm number one. We love our wives, men. Women love their husbands. Children love their parents. Parents love their children. But it is a secondary love to the love that we have for the Savior himself. I used to tell my daughters this. I love you second to the most. And they always wanted to know what that meant. And I said, because I love your mother more than I love you. I knew someday they were going to go away. And I knew someday they were going to go away and stay away. They often came back, and then they would go away again, and then they would come back for the third time. They finally went away. So I would say to them, I love you second to the most. And that's what Jesus is saying. Do you love all of those relationships that you're in right now second to the most? You've read Pilgrim's Progress? You remember at the beginning when Christian sets out Stepping off of his porch to find his way to the celestial city, his wife and his daughter are standing on the porch begging him to return, and he had to make his way to the celestial city. That's the same picture that we have here. Are you willing to give up those relationships to put Christ first? If you can't, if you won't, then you cannot be his disciple. The second one, verse 27 then, is... You cannot be my disciple unless you give up yourself, unless you abandon yourself. And what we find here is this, ref, uh, this uh, connection to carrying a, a cross. It is a, it is a connection to the, to the crucifixion, and it would have made perfect sense to the hearers of that particular day. This was the worst form of execution that you could have in that day. It was reserved for the lowest of the low individuals. And what the authorities would do is they would make their way throughout all of the city streets to the house of the person they were going to crucify, and they would put that beam, that cross beam, up on his shoulder, and then he, they would make him walk through the streets all the way back out, outside the city to the place where the, the crucifixions would take place. And everybody would see this individual walking up and down the streets, and they would say to them, or think to themselves, surely, this is a one-way trip. That's a dead man walking right there. They knew he was not coming back. And that's what we have here, Jesus' connection with the, the crucifixion. Unless we are willing to give up uh, our cross, unless you uh, carry, uh, if anyone doesn't carry his cross and follow me, then he cannot be my disciple. But the connection here, the root here, what Jesus is saying is he's not giving us an objective gospel presentation where he's saying, look, I am the Son of God, fully God and fully man. I have come as the Son of God to bear your sins in my body on the cross. I am going to be your substitutionary atonement. I am going to die for your sin. But I am going to be raised to new life on the third day. He doesn't give us any of that. He doesn't give us an objective presentation of the gospel. He gives us a subjective response to the gospel. And he's focusing on death. Dead men walking. Unless you are willing to die to self Loved ones, you will never live a life eternal with him. That's the point he's making. 
It's a subjective response that brings life. If you die to your way, your easy gospel way, and you embrace his gospel, then you will receive life eternal, abundant, and free. You see, Jesus never, never withholds the requirements of being a disciple simply to find out what your decision is. He gives us the requirements before a decision is called to be made. He wants you to know it is going to cost you yourself. You have to die to your way in order to live to his. The third you can't be my disciple comes then in verse 33. You cannot be my disciple unless you're going to give up everything. Since you can't be my disciple unless you're going to give up your relationships. You can't be my disciples unless you're going to give up yourself. And you cannot be my disciple unless you give up everything. What does he mean by everything? Okay, this is profound. Listen. He means everything. <laughs> everything. Like when we tell our children, go clean up your room. What part of it? All of it. Everything. Clean up everything. Jennifer and I, I went down to Texas just last week to load everything up. That's mine, my possession, given to me by the work of the Spirit, of course, because he's the owner of a thousand cattle, uh, cattle on a thousand hills. I went back. I had been negotiating with this moving company, and they were telling me, we're going we're gonna to come and do this. I said, no, 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 no. You've got to bring a bigger truck. You've got to bring a bigger truck. I just moved here a year ago. It's, it's a bigger truck. I've got this, I've got this, 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 that. They show up in this little bitty 28-foot U-Haul truck. Not big enough. They loaded it all up. And they said, we're going to come back tomorrow, and we're going to bring another truck. Okay? They come back, another 28-foot foot truck. Said, That's not big enough. That's not big enough. Well, we're, they fill it up. We're going to go get us a trailer and put on the back of one of these trucks. But while we're gone, look around at all the boxes that are left. You may want to prioritize them, and you may want to put some over here that, that uh, can't make it once we get this full. Because we can leave some stuff, right? And I said, no, everything. Everything goes. Well, you're not really sold to this hutch, are you? Can't you just leave this hutch? No. Everything. And that's what Jesus is saying, friends. You cannot be his disciple unless you are willing to give up everything. And he, does, he gives us two stories or two parables within the parable here. Who among you would start building a wall and then stop because you ran out of money? Who among you would start the life of a disciple of the Lord Jesus Christ and then give up on it? Jesus is saying it cannot be done. You cannot just simply walk down the aisle and make some, some decision for Christ and then not, not be completely transformed, not bully pain to have all of this dragon skin pulled away to become the true servant of the Lord Jesus Christ. Who among you would do that? Who among you would would take jeopardize 10,000 of your own men to go out against 20,000 stronger men. Wouldn't you, rather, wouldn't you rather negotiate peace? Who among us would not rather be at peace with God than at enmity, fighting against God, our way over his way, the story within the story? Jesus is simply showing that he will dispense of any disciple who does not complete the task. You cannot start building a, a wall and then stop 
or a tower and stop. You cannot go against 20,000 with 10 and be defeated. He will dispense of any who do not continue in the true way of the gospel and becoming the disciple he's called us to be. So what is Jesus' point? What is the point of these parables within the parable, all of this stuff? Look at what he says. In verse 33, in the same way, I'm reading from the NIV, but in the same way, any of you who does not give up everything cannot be my disciple. Literally translated, it would read, if you don't say goodbye to, give up everything to say goodbye to, to say goodbye to your way and say yes to Christ's way. That's what the gospel calls for. Oh, but how many times, friends, do we hear this? You've tried this, you've tried that, you've tried the other. Why don't you just try Jesus? He'll make all your pain go away. He'll make you happy. He'll give you whatever you want. And in some ways, that's true. He does give us joy unspeakable and full of glory. But it's an easy gospel, isn't it? If life gets you down, just take Jesus, and then everything will be okay. We have to say goodbye to our way, friends, and say yes to the way that is given to us by the Savior himself because he dispenses of disciples who do not finish the task, who carry it on to the day of completion. And that's how he ends. Salt is good, but if it loses its saltiness, then what good is it? It's not even good enough for the manure pile. How can salt lose its saltiness? Well, it actually can in two ways. It can be diluted down because of repetitive use, or actually, some commentators say there was a carbon that grew in the, in the Dead Sea area that would attach itself to the salt molecules. And after producing that, it would look like salt on the outside, but it had no salt flavor. I don't know which one is here, but if you look at both of those, it can be diluted after repetitive use of the carbon that connects to it. It looks like salt, but it's not salt. It's good for absolutely nothing. And that's what Jesus is saying. We may look like it on the outside. But unless the gospel has changed us from the inside, unless it's like a stream of living water that's boiling up from within us, and we are truly transformed, counting the cost of what it means to be a disciple of the Lord Jesus Christ, you cannot be his disciple. Those are strong words, but they're not my words, friends. They're the words of the Savior who says, come to me. Come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden. He's got his arms stretched out even now. Come, come and taste and see that I indeed am good. You see, it's all about a relationship, friends. That's what it's about. It's about a relationship with the Savior himself. We are saved by grace, and we live by grace. Saved by grace in that he says, come. And when we come, then we begin to live in this relationship with him. And this renovation, this work of renovation in our life is ongoing, moment by moment and day by day, considering the cost and casting it away, giving it up, loving this more than that until the day of glory when Christ comes again in the fullness of it. Oh, what a day of rejoicing that will be. Another C.S. Lewis quote, and I'll close with this, from Mere Christianity. He captures it, this whole thing. He captures it so well. Listen to what he says. The Christian way is different.
Christ says, give me all. I don't want so much of your time and so much of your money and so much of your work. I want you. I have not come to torment your natural self, but to kill it. No half measures are any good. I don't want to cut off a branch here and a branch there. I want the whole tree down. I don't want to drill the tooth or crown the tooth or stop the tooth. I want to have the tooth out. Hand over your whole natural self, all the desires which you think innocent as well as the ones you think wicked, the whole outfit. Have you counted the cost of discipleship, friends? Have you truly counted the cost of discipleship of what it means to be a follower, a learner of the Lord Jesus Christ? If you haven't, then you cannot be his disciple. But if you have, then you are in relationship with him, the very one who says, come, come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Do you have ears to hear? Then have you heard? Thanks be to God. Let us pray. Our Father in heaven, we thank you that this gospel that you give to us is the same gospel that you work in us by the power of your Holy Spirit. That our lives can be, are transformed because of the streams of living water that are boiling up within us. What a sweet gospel, Father, and we would confess even this morning that we have tried to water that gospel down. We've tried to make it as easy as we possibly can get away with. Let's seal this to us today, Father. Now that as we have heard your word read and proclaimed, put ourselves under the teaching and the preaching of it, would that same spirit, would that same spirit strike at our very soul as we roll over on our back and expose our soul and have this work of undressing done. Do that, please, Father, for the praise of your glorious grace. We ask it in Jesus' name.